Hello, namaste everybody. Welcome, Sally. So here we're going to talk about yet another expert panel review. This is a rather interesting device. And with me, I have Dr. Sally Sennett, RQM Plus's medical director. And together, we're going to discuss our takeaways from this device. Now, Sally, can you please tell us what this device is about? What are the indications and anything that we should know getting into this discussion? Yeah, thanks, Jay. Yeah, this one is about a neurostimulator. It's implantable. Uh, it has two components, an implantable generator and also implantable electrodes. But interestingly, these are subcutaneous, so they sit outside the cranium of the skull. Now, it's used in the treatment of focal epilepsy in adults who are refractory to two or more drugs. Um, but interestingly, they didn't specify the type of epilepsy. As long as it's focal, there was no further definition of the epilepsy, so temporal or extratemporal, all included. Um, and these patients are definitely not uh, candidates for surgery. So they've been fairly specific in those indications. Now, the, what prompted the uh, expert panel review was novelty, not only the device itself, there's nothing else like this on the market at the moment, but also the, the clinical concept whereby they've introduced a low um, level, threshold level of, of AC current, plus the option for a patient to actually add additional bursts when they feel um, a seizure coming on. So, so this is quite new. Now, the um, alternative therapies in this field at the moment would be the deep brain stimulators or the uh, reactive neurostimulation. That's pretty much what there is available in this space at the moment. So just thinking about that, Jay, in that context, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. about the data that they submitted to support this case? What did you make of that? Right. I think we have a case of yet another skimpy data set, and I can explain what I mean. So the manufacturer submitted an N equals 33 patient data set. And that's across two studies, one study with 15 patients and the other with 18 patients. Overall, panel deemed that the data was insufficient in terms of both quantity and quality. And uh, panel was specifically unhappy about not only the low number of patients, but also the overall data analysis. And here are some of the key issues, mm -hmm. right? Critical items such as patient selection, um, and within the patient selection bucket, they had inadequacies around pre-existing conditions, the type, frequency, and severity of seizures, it, uh, patient characteristics, the description of patient characteristics was also found to be deficient. Also, technical items, rather key technical items like stimulation parameters and electrode locations weren't adequately discussed, and the criteria for device explant were also unclear. The benefit-risk story was hazy because the AE reporting around worsening seizures was unclear. Now, that was a bit alarming. Correct. Exactly. That has to do directly with the intended use, right? Yeah. Specifically, the number of patients impacted by an increase in frequency, duration, and severity of the worsening seizures wasn't adequately discussed, like you pointed out, Sally. Big miss. Correspondingly, one couldn't decipher if increase in frequency of a seizure was considered an SAE at all. <laughs> so, yeah, so altogether, the it, it, there was there was the the undisclosed nature and the unclear nature around worsening seizures was highlighted by panel as a big big shortcoming. So the correlation now going on to the technical aspects, right? The correlation with stimulation parameters and electrode locations wasn't disclosed in any detail, making one believe that this wasn't closely analyzed. Now, 
panel was very unhappy about the notified body not having investigated this aspect of worsening seizures more carefully and keenly, since, like I said, worsening seizure situation is a direct contradiction to the intended use of the device. Of course, of course. They, they also pointed out that the patient perspective wasn't reported. I'm, I'm a little surprised about this, but no data on patient-reported outcomes like quality of life or symptom relief was discussed. I am really surprised about this, and that's where I feel like the entire data set has an air of a feasibility study. Mm. Now, that notwithstanding, the battery life is supposed to be about 40 to 52 weeks, which necessitates iterative surgeries, right? Now, panel was dubious about the five-year lifetime of the device. I'm not really sure why they were dubious about that, but they did want the PMCF to be increased from a three years to five-year five year duration, and they wanted a five-year duration on every patient, rightly so. So, in summary, the studies provided were mainly feasibility-type studies, and panel pretty much came out and asked for a double-blind sham-controlled RCT as the C-marking study. They actually even went as far as asking for a comparison with indirect vagus nerve stimulation mm-hmm. as part of a PMCF study. Panel asked for follow-up timeframes to cover surgeries for battery changes, as this can be considered towards the benefit-risk assessment, and to help refine indications for device removal. To infer, the PROVIDE study does not answer the question of whether brain stimulation can actually improve outcomes in patients optimally treated with refractory focal epilepsy. Honestly, I think the available data set may not have been analyzed and it certainly wasn't presented properly. Yeah, that's a bad miss on on the part of the manufacturer. They didn't analyze the data that they did have as well as they could have done. But uh, also, I think it's worth pointing out that this is not a rare condition. I mean, epilepsy is is not rare at all. And I think a lot of patients are going to fall into these types of categories because um, refractory epilepsy is relatively common. If you don't respond to one drug, once you get onto two or more, there's a lot of problems with polypharmacy and the, you know, um, additive adverse events that can occur with with more than one drug. And they're not particularly pleasant drugs to take in the long term. So there's clearly a huge opportunity here. There's a huge space for this device. But, you know, I just want to say to the guy, look, there's so much that you could do better in order to position it for real patient benefit. So anyway, Jay, pulling that all together, what are the key takeaways Mm -hmm. for manufacturers? And I think we've probably heard one or two of these before, but it's worth reiterating them. You're so right. I think we're at the risk of starting to sound like a broken record here. But um, clearly, there is very strong focus on specifying the intended use and the corresponding clinical benefit to be achieved. Mm -hmm. Similarly, there is a strong focus on the indications for use and the clinical outcomes to be measured, along with a clear focus on the data to be stratified across indications. I know that sentence was a mouthful, but there are a lot of key takeaways there. Unfortunately, the trend of submitting feasibility studies as C-marking is continuing, and that is really not being entertained. This, this, uh, being a reviewer, I've seen this happen in the past. It, it has flown, unfortunately, about five, ten years ago. It's not happening anymore, right? Uh, that said, panel is certainly entertaining smaller sample sizes in rarefied patient populations with no meaningful alternatives where the benefit-risk signal is smaller. However, Sally, to the point that you made, this patient population seems to be very heterogeneous and there really isn't any discussion as to why it could be considered rarefied when 
you know, popular opinion and thought process leads one to believe that it is not really a heterogeneous patient population. It is not really a rarefied patient population. It is very much so a heterogeneous patient population. Now, even sample sizes of 30 to 60 with a less than robust study design and an equally subpar data analysis are just not cutting it. They mm-hmm. clearly want measurable, hard endpoint-based clinical outcomes along with a reporting of patient perspectives. And in two consecutive reviews, they flat out come out and ask for RCTs. Mm. Those are my key takeaways, Sally. Mm. So in the attempt to try and keep the indications broad, they fail completely, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that, that is a very, very succinct um, statement there when it comes to the indications and Good. the overall uh, data analysis. Thank you very much, Jay, as always. Any last things to add? All right. Actually, no. Um, you know, the key takeaways covers everything. Um, just wanted every, to thank you and thank you for participating, Sally. And for everyone else who uh, routinely tunes in and listens to us talk about these expert panel reviews. Thanks a lot. Thank you.